Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and more importantly, welcome back, Giants fans, to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast, the podcast that is home to all things Giants baseball. Folks, before we dive into today's show, I would like to take a moment to let you know that you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, then don't be afraid to subscribe. And if you really like the show, then make sure to leave a review. But most importantly, make sure to spread the word. With that being said, let's dive right in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast, episode 66 to be exact. Thank you so much for tuning in to your favorite Giants podcast. I'm your host today, James Donahue, as I am for every show, so hopefully that's not a deal breaker for you. Folks, before we get on with the show, I'd like to formally say thank you for your constant love and support of the show. It truly is overwhelming. Even if I had nobody listening to me talk, I'd still continue to put out episodes, but the fact that there are so many of you listening makes this show all the more rewarding. All right, all right, enough of that crap. Let's go ahead and dive right into today's episode. So today, I'm doing an analysis of all the current free agent hitters on the market. I talk about players who are exciting, but might be unlikely to sign with the Giants. I also talk about my personal favorite players who I believe would be great fit for the Giants. And of course, I also talk about players who would be perfect role players for this team. Or in other words, players who I believe could excel in the platoon system the Giants coaching staff have put in place. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Let's first start with the most exciting names who unfortunately I believe are also the highly unlikely players for the Giants to sign. First on the list, Carlos Correa. If I'm being honest, I don't really see how Correa fits into this team, but not only that, I don't really like him as a player. I've obviously never met him, but it seems like he's the type of guy that expects to be, well, the guy as soon as he steps into whatever clubhouse he plays for, and that is the exact opposite mentality the Giants front office is looking for. The only way the system the front office has implemented over the past few years works is with a bunch of selfless guys. And in my opinion, that is not Carlos Correa. And on top of it all, Correa recently rejected a five-year offer from the Astros that featured a $32 million annual average salary. But the rumors are that Correa is looking for a 10-year deal worth that same average annual salary. To me, that screams red flags. Now, believe me, I understand that he's the youngest of all the big-time free agents, which is probably why he is the most sought after. But I still can't justify paying $32 million for a 37-year-old which is what he would be at the end of his 10-year contract. So for all those reasons, I personally believe that Carlos Correa would not be a good fit for the Giants. Moving on to the next exciting player, and that's going to be Anthony Rizzo. This one is pretty easy to explain, simply because if the Giants lose Posey and Bryant in one offseason, then they will desperately need muscle on the right side of the plate. And Brandon Belt already accepted his qualifying offer, which means he'll be manning first base. Again, Another situation like Correa, where I just don't really see how he fits. Moving on to another left-handed hitting first baseman, and that's Freddie Freeman. This one is also easy in my opinion, because I see Freddie Freeman being a brave for his entire career. That's honestly what it comes down to. Now, 
Do I think Freeman is an upgrade from Belt? Yes. I won't be completely biased, but Freeman will also demand an extremely pricey contract, which wouldn't make sense when you're already paying for a first baseman who can hit 30 bombs a year. Don't really see the fit, and I also believe Freeman and the Braves will work something out. And plus, we love Belt. Belt is forever a giant. I wouldn't want any other player to man first base other than the captain, Brandon Belt. All right, moving on to the next player on the highly unlikely list, and that's Kyle Schwarber. During last year's offseason, I had Schwarber on the highly unlikely list as well, and my main reasons were due to his limitations on defense and because he is a lefty bat, and it seems as though the Giants are always in the market for right-handed hitters. However, after I put him on that list, Schwarber went on to produce the best season of his career and also became one of the most dangerous hitters to face. He produced a 266 batting average, a 928 OPS, but also hit 32 home runs. During his time in a Nationals uniform last year, Schwarber hit 16 home runs during an 18-game period. It was truly astonishing to witness. One thing I undervalued when it comes to Schwarber's game is his ability to generate walks. Last year, he was in the top 6% of the league in walk percentage, and that has been proven time and time again throughout his entire career. Not to mention, he is immune to the shift because of how hard he hits the ball. Schwarber finished the season in the top 7% of the league in hard hit percentage, which, as we all know, is a great thing because in the game of baseball, the harder you hit the ball, the likelier the chances are of getting on base safely. The Giants may not have a specific spot for Schwarber, which is why he's on this list, but honestly, the more I talk about it, I wouldn't be mad if they went out and signed him, especially with the DH more than likely coming to the National League. All right, here we go. Moving on to the next tier, and that is tier one. I'm going to be speaking about one, two, three, four guys, and basically, I would like the Giants to sign at least one of them. I'm not expecting the Giants to go out to sign all four of them, but if the Giants sign at least one of these next four guys, then I would consider this offseason to be a success. So let's go ahead and start off with, yes, of course, Chris Bryant. Now, before I talk about Bryant, I want to talk about Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper was the 2021 NL MVP, and he made $26 million last year, and will continue to make that same amount each of the next seven years. The reason why I bring this up is because I believe this is a good metric to use in order to properly evaluate what Bryant is worth. If he is seeking a contract that gives him $30 million a year, then I believe the Giants would be overpaying. For me, at least, I would be okay with a 5-7 to seven year contract that features a $24 to $7 million range, maybe even 28 And to be honest, I really hope both sides come together to make this work. Yes, Bryant did have a shaky month of September. But during his first month in a Giants uniform, he collected 25 hits, including six home runs. And if that doesn't excite you enough, then let's not forget what he did during the NLDS against the Dodgers, producing a 471 batting average and hitting a home run off Walker Buehler. Chris Bryant is a phenomenal player for many reasons. He's an above-average hitter with power, and he can play five different positions on the baseball diamond, which, as we all know, is something that this club values. And on top of all that, he's healthy. In my opinion, this former MVP is the perfect fit for the Giants, but I also know that based off Farhan Zaidi's track record, he will never overpay or get himself into an unfavorable financial situation. So if Chris Bryant is demanding something that is well above his worth, then I don't see the Giants biting. Moving on to the next player, and that's going to be Nick Castellanos. 
The former Reds outfielder produced a 309 batting average, hit 34 home runs, and 100 RBIs last year during the 2021 season. If you examine his stat sheet, you'll see that Castellanos has hit 20-plus home runs in four of the last five seasons. 2020, he failed to reach that feat for obvious reasons, but 14 home runs during a 60-game season is still impressive. I obviously wouldn't be sad if the Giants somehow acquired Castellanos, but the only thing to be wary about is he only plays the outfield and isn't quite known for his defense, but he is one of the most elite right-handed hitters in the game right now. So that reason alone is enough to want him on your team. When I looked on the Fangraphs website, they projected Castellanos to get a four-year deal with an AAV worth $16 million a year. Sorry, I said 16 one In my opinion, that is extremely low for Castellanos. He's the type of player who should be making at least $25 million a year, which is something I'd be willing to commit to for four years for this type of player. I don't know why, but for some reason, I don't view Castellanos the same way I view Bryant or Trevor Story, which, spoiler alert, is our next player. I view Bryant and Story as pieces you could build a championship team around, whereas Castellanos I view as a very nice complement piece to an already established and competitive team. Again, don't ask me why I feel that way. I just do. All right, moving on to a player I just mentioned, Trevor Story. Honestly, there's not a lot to dislike about the former Colorado Rockies shortstop and the way he plays the game of baseball. Like Brandon Crawford, Trevor Story is a wizard with a glove. Story has yet to win any major defensive awards, but don't let that fool you. He brings plenty of value with the glove. Since Story arrived in the majors six years ago, only two shortstops, being Nick Ahmed and Andrelton Simmons, have saved more runs defensively. Story has played the shortstop position during his entire major league tenure, but because of his size and his athleticism, this man can play all over the diamond if he really wanted to, including third base, center field, second base, and first. Now, is he willing to play multiple positions? I honestly have no idea. I haven't read anything stating that Trevor Story is willing to move over to third base or play a different position. Now... The elbow injury that sidelined him for weeks in May is perhaps the most concerning for prospective suitors. That wasn't his first time battling elbow problems either, and teams are paying attention. Many scouts think Trevor Story should move to second base to help maintain strength in his throwing arm, and it's been reported that if he's willing to shift off shortstop, it can open up his market significantly. The problem here is that Corey Seager just signed a 10-year deal that features an annual salary of $32 million. So if that's what Story is looking for, then I already know it's going to be a pass for Farhan, even if Story can hit 25-plus home runs a year while also stealing 25-plus bases. I would love if Story came to the Giants, especially if he made the switch to third base, just like A-Rod and Manny Machado did at later stages of their careers. But at this point, I have no idea what Story is looking for. Fangraphs projects a six-year contract worth $25 million a year, which is fine with me, especially since Story has had a bit of injury bug during his career. But like I said, due to their athleticism and what they can do with a bat in their hand, Story and Chris Bryant are pieces that can help any competitive team level up and compete for a championship. All right, here we go. So we talked about Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos, and Trevor Story. Now there's one more player on this list where, again, I don't expect the Giants to sign all four of these players, but I would love if they went out and signed at least one. And the last player, the fourth, is going to be Saya Suzuki. 
Suzuki might be the most intriguing option on the free agent market, and it's because for the first time in his career, he is coming overseas from Japan in order to attempt to play in the big leagues. So what do we know about this guy? Well, last year for the Hiroshima Carp, the 27-year-old produced a 319 batting average while also smashing 38 home runs. Last year, he also won his fifth gold glove in right field, and over the past three seasons, he has more walks than strikeouts. That sounds amazing. I mean, this guy sounds like he would be one of the best players in the majors right now, right? Well, that's the thing. When you look at the list of Japanese players who have attempted to come overseas to the States to play with the best players in the world, it seems as though only a very small amount of them have found success. The only ones I can look at are Hideki Matsui, and again, we're only talking about hitters right now. Hideki Matsui for the Yankees, Ichiro, and Shohei Otani, obviously. I'm not quite sure how the Korean Baseball League compares to the Japan League, but last year, the Padres signed a Korean player by the name of Ha Seung Kim, and the numbers he was putting up in the KBO turned the same amount of heads Saya Suzuki is doing right now. During the 2020 season in the KBO, Ha Seon Kim, excuse me, <laughs> produced a 306 batting average, hit 30 home runs, and stole 21 bases. And he walked more times than he struck out. Now, how did that translate to the 2021 season in a Padres uniform? Not good. He finished the 2021 season with a 202 batting average and only hit eight home runs and only stole six bases. To be fair, Kim received 324 less plate appearances last year than he did in 2020 during his monstrous campaign in the Korean Baseball League. My point is, I wonder how inflated these numbers are from guys coming overseas because of the level of competition being worse over there. I honestly have no idea. All I know is that teams all around the league are in on Saya Suzuki. Recently, Andrew Baggerly, who is a reporter of The Athletic who covers the Giants, he wrote an entire article on a recent interview he had with Suzuki. The one thing that stuck out to me the most was this segment, and I quote, Suzuki starred at Nishogakusha. I know, I screwed that up. Anyways, that's the name of the high school. As a power hitter, an ace right-hander with a fastball in the low 90s. I'm sorry, what? This guy hits bombs, but he was also touching low 90s in high school? Let's continue. In the article, there is a quote from Suzuki saying, Otani is a great player. Obviously, he pitches and hits and does great on both ends. But as an outfielder myself, and also as a right-handed hitter, I look up to Mike Trout. That's where I want to get someday. But I could be a pitcher too. Then the final quote from the article that I'll mention comes from Brad Eldred, who played with Suzuki in 2016 in Japan, but is now a scout for the Hiroshima Carp. When asked about Suzuki's arm, Eldred had this to say, quote, Unbelievable. Nobody will talk about it because of everything else he does, but you're going to find out pretty quick when he comes here. I don't know how much emphasis scouts will put on it, but if you stick him on the mound, he could hit the upper 90s. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because velocity doesn't lie. Even if Suzuki only hits 15 home runs during his first year in the big leagues, He'll still be an outstanding defender and a dual thread who can make an appearance on the mound if you wish to use him that way. I mean, I'm obviously a bystander of the situation, but from the looks of all this, it seems as though Suzuki has the potential of being the real deal, especially since he played side-by-side -side with Otani while they were growing up. If the Giants signed Suzuki, 
they would be acquiring a young right-handed bat who can play gold glove caliber defense in the outfield who seems to have a big ceiling when it comes to power numbers. But will they also be acquiring another elite arm they can add to their pitching staff? I mean, it sounds like it, but who knows at this point. And of course, no advancements have been made in terms of the lockout, so no teams can contact Suzuki at this time. So there are a lot of unknowns currently up in the air. But I would be lying to you if I said I wouldn't be excited if the Giants signed Suzuki. If he is the real deal, then the Giants have a great shot at signing him to a reasonably priced contract, especially when you look at Otani's contract and see that last year, as the 2021 AL MVP, he only made $3 million. Okay, at this time, let's go ahead and move into the next tier below these Tier 1 players I just discussed. The first player in this Tier 2 bracket is going to be Michael Conforto, who also might be the most expensive of this tier. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, James, why is that? I see here that he produced an underwhelming 232 batting average last year. What the hell is so expensive about that? Well, let's do a deeper dive. Conforto has now played seven seasons in the big leagues, and during that time, he has been able to show the world what he's capable of. When you look at years 2017 through 2019, you'll see that Conforto is a player that carries a power bat while also generating walks at a high clip. In 2017, he had 27 home runs while producing a 13% walk percentage. 2018, we have 28 home runs and a 13.2% walk percentage. And finally, 2019, 33 home runs, 13% walk percentage. These are very valuable traits as a hitter, and this will most likely be the reason why Conforto looks to be a little pricey. So with all that being said, do the Giants need him? Well, Conforto is a lefty, which, as we all know, the Giants aren't necessarily in the market for, but he is a great hitter that's only 28 years old. The only problem here is Conforto was offered the qualifying offer from the Mets right before he hit free agency, which means just like Castellanos and Trevor Story, whichever team signs these particular players will have to forfeit one of their draft picks, and I'm not necessarily sure if Conforto is a player that's worth it for the Giants to give up one of their draft picks. All right, moving on to a player that is lower tier, but he's also still exciting in my opinion, and that's going to be Jock Peterson. Now, before I dive into his stats, let me first say two things. One, Jock was born and raised in the Bay Area. His Twitter handle is youngjock650 for crying out loud. Coming home and playing in front of all of his friends and family every night, I can imagine could be a pretty cool experience. And two, Peterson has been to the World Series two years in a row. He was on the 2020 Dodgers team, and he somehow made his way on the 2021 World Series championship Braves team. Maybe that's just a coincidence, but maybe it's not. Regardless, Jock has plenty of postseason experience and is well accustomed to playing under the lights on the biggest baseball stage in the entire world. That alone makes him valuable. Additionally, though, I want to look at Jock's 2019 season. That year, he hit 36 home runs. What's special about that? Well... It just so happens that he hit all 36 of those home runs against right-handed pitching. Then if we go back to the year 2018, we can see that Jock hit 24 of his 25 home runs also against right-handed pitching. My point here is, Jock could be the perfect left-handed platoon player for the Giants, particularly against right-handed pitching. And the best part about that is he would be paid as such. Fangraphs is projecting that Jock is worth a two-year deal worth $18 million, which gives him a $9 million average annual salary. Still a little pricey for a platoon player? Maybe. But again, 
Along with power from the left side of the plate comes the postseason experience, which is highly valuable. I would be more than happy to welcome Jock back home to the Bay Area. The only problem with Jock is that I get the feeling he wants to play every day, which will be tough for him to find a suitor if that's the case, considering his severe lack of production against lefties throughout his whole career. And what's even more alarming is his career 236 batting average. All right, moving on to the next player in this bracket, and that's going to be Jorge Soler. Now, this may not be a popular opinion, but I think Jorge Soler is an interesting player to consider. In 2019, the right-handed power bat hit 48 homers, and 39 of them came against right-handed pitching. When you look at his 2021 campaign, another member of the World Series Atlanta Braves, you'll see that he hit 27 home runs. 15 of those came against righties, and 12 came against lefties. Unlike Jock, the power seems to be more even with Soler, even when it comes to facing right-handed or left-handed pitchers. The only problem with Soler is his career 246 batting average. Neither Jock nor Soler are too exciting on their own, but when both of these players are on the same roster, it's no wonder why the Braves had such a successful season. And finally, to close out this segment, everyone, I'll mention two utility infielding veterans by the names of Josh Harrison and Starlin Castro. I like these two players for multiple reasons. They're both right-handed, they both can play multiple positions on the infield, and Harrison can even make starts in the outfield if he needed to, but more importantly, these two guys don't strike out a lot, which of course we now know is a favorable trait from the Giants front office slash coaching staff. They love their hitters who don't strike out a lot and know how to get on base. All right, everyone, that is going to be all for today's episode. This is a long one. I haven't done a 20 minute episode in a long time. I haven't done an episode more than 10 minutes in a long time. Folks, again, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to the Say Hey podcast, everyone's favorite Giants podcast. You can find the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. Folks, I've already mentioned this on this episode, but again, thank you so much for your overwhelming love and support of the show. It truly means the world. And with that being said, everyone, continue to be safe out there. Continue to be smart. But most importantly, go Giants.